Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came, humanoids from the deep dive welcome to the podcast humanoids from the deep dive where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies each episode we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore in today's episode we will be covering various aliens and entities from the influential british quatermass series with a very special guest the showrunner of amc's history of horror kurt sienga fans of the show can find us on spotify itunes google Podcasts, and podbean and also follow us on twitter at hft deep dive i'm your host jeff ewing i'm an entertainment contributor for forbes looper and nightmare on film street and uh Basically, I, I I do this and I write about monsters all the time for lots of different places. And if it's monsters, I've probably written about it somewhere. Today's co-host is Andre Couture. Uh, he's a video editor, film nut, and both the co-host, uh, one of the co-hosts of this show. And very pleased, uh, as I mentioned, to introduce our special guest. Uh, Kurt Sanga is an LA-based writer, director, producer. He's the executive producer and showrunner of the AMC documentary series, AMC Visionaries Eli Ross History of Horror writing and directing uh pretty much all of it right yep all of it yeah absolutely um i I just want to pause for a second and say one thank you so much for coming on the show today my pleasure and two i am a huge fan (laughs) thank you (laughs) uh yes yeah we're uh very happy with the series and the way it's come out um particularly something that's on a you know basic cable and has to work within the commercial framework i think it's um kind of amazing sometimes some of the things we've gotten on the air like the body horror episode which i never thought i'd get on the mm-hmm. air so yeah it's so impressive to me it actually was a th- that show was one of the the things that kind of influenced how i thought about doing this show when i first started it actually because i had a lot of quarantine time and <laughs> there's a lot of review shows a lot of uh different you know ways that people have covered media in the podcast world and i thought well what what do i like and what do i want more of and i wanted a show where you could kind of really dig into some of these topics more than just give a review because in part because i really love history of horror and how you dig into all these different sort of genres and subgenres and topics and and talk to experts and i just love that format so thank you thank you yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of a latecomer to the Quatermass series, uh, in, in part because it started in the 50s, and uh, I'm neither uh, out of Britain, and I'm not British, and I, I'm not nearly old enough to have been there when it premiered. So mm-hmm. uh, I was, but I love catching up on like 1950s sci-fi horror alien tales and when i when i asked you kurt what what you'd be excited to cover this was something you mentioned you're excited to talk about this material so i i kind of wanted to just start out real quick and ask you why uh i'm so thrilled about about it why did you want to talk about this series in particular well i think i wanted to talk about this and partly because i mean i first became aware of quieter mass barely where by seeing the film then titled in America, Five Million Years to Earth, which is in the UK mm-hmm. known as Quatermass in the Pit. And for obvious mm-hmm. reasons would not be called that in America because nobody knows who the hell Quatermass is. Uh, there, <laughs> however, he's practically an institution, which is something I kind of realized in the course of reading a lot. And in particular, I think I read... Um, Someone did an article about Quatermass 2 saying it's like one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. And I'm thinking, how have I not seen Quatermass 2 then since I'm totally into science fiction horror, especially. So mm-hmm. um, anything with monsters and if they throw in a little science fiction element, that's great. So then tracking down a copy of Quatermass 2 and seeing it and just thought it was brilliant. I think it's uh, probably my favorite of the bunch, but they're all good. And mm-hmm. Quatermass Experiment, the first one is very good. And then I went from there to uh, track down the ones that I could find of the original serials. I should probably explain right off the top that basically the Quatermass series was started in the 50s on the BBC and was uh, 
back in the day when a writer, sort of like a playwrights are treated, you know, in the 50s, you could be a successful writer, and then they would write you a check, and you'd create something, and they would go right on television as live, which is what's really crazy about these things. <laughs> yep. Like, the original Quatermass series were six-part things that would air live, and... Um, the first one, the Quatermass Experiment, uh, was 1953, and it was an enormous success. So enormous that uh, Quatermass became instantly famous, which is why all the other movies have Quatermass in the title um, for Britain. <laughs> and was famous enough that Hammer, pre-Gothic horror, this before they did Dracula, before they did their Frankenstein, mm -hmm. Hammer bought the rights to make a film adaptation. It came out in 1955, which is really good, called The Quatermass Experiment with Justin X. So mm -hmm. to play off the fact that the British have the X rating, which uh, over there <laughs> did not mean porn, it just meant adult. Right. It still had a racy edge to it. And then uh, in 1955, Quatermass II, Roman numeral II, these are important distinctions, came out in 1955 <laughs> in the BBC. And that was another huge hit. And that that's pretty good, too, actually. it's a, You can track it down. There are various legal and somewhat illegal means to do that on the Internet. But if you're good with a computer, you can find it. Um, and then Quatermass II, the number two, was the Hammer film from 1957, which is supposedly the first film that had the uh, number two in the title, like oh, the first actual sequel. Ah, without, so in other words, it even influenced the Fast and the Furious franchise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's such a part of our culture. Um, Absolutely. And then uh, Quatermass in the Pit, which is really good, actually. The serial, the live serial, which came out in... I think it was Christmas 1958, and then it aired into 1959, um, which um, is really worth seeking out. And then that was adapted years later by Hammer in 1967, because basically because they couldn't get the mm -hmm. money to do it until they switched their studio deal. And by then, it's a whole different vibe because you're getting into like London in the swinging 60s. And you know, it has mm -hmm. it, the part of the appeal of the Quatermass series, I think, is just it captures this bleak Britain in the 50s post-war vibe, which is really mm -hmm. doomy <laughs> and, and just to kind of run down and just, you know, just getting through life. And it's filled with a lot of uh, the serials in particular, have a bunch of Cockney characters and a little richer and more mm -hmm. drawn out um, but uh, that was part of it and I think seeing Quatermass 2 and then seeing Quatermass experiment and realizing oh I actually saw this when I was a little kid and just forgot as um, and and those movies really move they, uh, they're really fast and they have a lot of ideas in them and that's what appealed to me yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why one of the reasons why I love, you know, your your thing from another world and uh, all these other different and I love them and all these other like 1950s sort of sci-fi horror properties because the ideas are always so big. They're they're definitely like big world altering straight up Lovecraftian mm. menace uh, like like uh, plot lines for these films. And that post-war context definitely works its way and not only to the feeling, but there's certain lines in every one that I love. There's always like the Quatermass is, uh, is talking about, you know, what he thinks is really going on. Of course, he's right. He's the protagonist. And then there's always like a government operative that's like, no, 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 it's Nazis. Nazis I know this Nazis, is Nazis. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Every time. Trust me, listen to me. <laughs> Colonel Breen, yes, who's uh, the, mm -hmm. the, I, just the embodiment of the, you know, fatuous, uh, you know, guy who follows orders and can't accept uh, what he's seeing. Uh, actually, it's also, he's also playing to the politicians who do not want to hear bad news coming from scientists, which is, right. has certain resonances. Across yeah, exactly. Like, it, there, there's a very uh, a, a modern feel to a lot of the themes that, and the way politicians behave, and it's very implicitly critical of the British government. And you can definitely see the influence in every single one of these films in subsequent British American world sci-fi. It's and horror. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there. Then I have to say, doing the more research I do into this, the more it's like, oh my god, this is really like, it's so it's hard when you're not of the time when you're coming back to it, you know, and mm -hmm. to look at it, then really put it in context and realize, you know, oh. Body Snatchers came out after this, you know, and this mm -hmm. all these, and it, 
this is such a British take on this kind of subject matter too, because American films of the fifties, I think tended to be much more like gung ho for the military and the scientists were sort of the, Mm -hmm. you know, crazy eggheads who you couldn't really trust, you know? And uh, whereas in this case, it's the, the scientist as hero in the serials. He's more of the, what they call a boffin in Britain, which would be, you know, just the smartest guy in the room who has the answers and can solve it through logical thinking, Mm -hmm. reasoning. Um, In the movies, he's played by controversially played by Brian Donlevy, who's more of an American tough guy. Uh, But, but I love Don Levy in the movies because he's such an asshole. It's so great. So he just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm such a big fan of Don Levy. He plows through everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just he's he's absolutely he's like a, a general, and in some ways reminds me of my father, who's an <laughs> Air Force colonel and also involved in rocketry and missiles. It's just sort of oh, like, cool. yeah, you know, just the guy who's going to push it forward no matter what. And it's really interesting, yeah, because because he does uh, he is given this um, he doesn't behave like 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 Indiana Jones, like he's not an action star, you know. But he definitely has that. I will steamroll. I don't care who I'm oh, yeah. talking to. I will steamroll you for the solution vibe in every single one. Oh yeah, he, he just completely steps over like a bunch of like the the British pleasantries that a lot of people go through, and then he just he just skips straight to the point, and then it, it kind of bowls over everyone that he talks to, especially in the first film because it's such a stark mm-hmm. change uh and especially like, i remember guests saying that he thought that um professor quatermass in the first serial was just too stuffy and just he didn't he couldn't take something like that seriously as like a real agency on making decisions over what was going to happen with the guy coming back uh to earth and just going through the motions through the government like he wanted someone who's just gonna like stomp all over everyone verbally and just like show everyone that he knows what he's supposed to be doing you should listen to me and that's that indeed yeah <laughs> that's yeah. that's quite a mess and uh and he's the character who would probably not be trusted in an american version of the story but who in the british story is clearly oh, yeah. like uh the anti-authoritarian character who's you know he's in charge but he's pitted against just a bunch of fools essentially Mm -hmm. so you know either mediocrities or fools yeah it's just like like Um, okay there's an extraterrestrial menace um as as main antagonist and secondary antagonist is like the ineptitude of the british government oh absolutely (laughs) and particularly in the quatermass experiment which i apparently was meant to be like an active uh satire of the conservative government as well, there are people mm-hmm. in the uh, in the film who bear a resemblance to uh, public figures at the time. So it's part of the Nigel O'Neill's uh, mm-hmm. wit. I mean, uh, he, there's a satirical edge, like many of the best written British products. That um, or there's there is a sense of humor buried down in it, although it gets more and more bitter as it goes along until you get to uh, 1979 when there is the final Quatermass entry, which is. Yeah, they're just called Quatermass or the Quatermass Conclusion, and that's very hard to get. Like, I have a British copy, but it's, you know, you need an old region player for it. Yeah, that was the only one, like, I acquired all of them, and I couldn't even find that one easily. It's yeah. it's not as anywhere near as good as the other ones, but it's, um, and it also is uh, really bleak. <laughs> really, really, yeah. really bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're... Uh, you know, fans are familiar with the British band, post-punk band, The Fall. But uh, the one thing I got out of watching Quatermass was learning where the beginning of the song Lay of the Land they have, uh, uh, where there's this group of people chanting lay, 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 and then it's more and more and builds up. And then it goes into this first song, which had very elliptical lyrics. And then after watching Quatermass, suddenly you realize, oh, it's a song about Quatermass. And these uh, people who are all kind of... In- Human young humans are engaging in this sort of flocking behavior that tracks them to different sites like Stonehenge, where they're then zapped by rays from outer space that they think are teleporting mm. them to another world, but are in fact harvesting them, <laughs> like sucking the protein yeah. out of their body and leaving nothing but dust. Yeah, it's just kind of like like a uh, what what is it like under the skin? It's basically like a planetary level under the yes, skin. Yes, exactly. And um, and the happy ending is that Quatermass detonates a nuke <laughs> and destroys himself and his everybody else, but that's meant to be sort of a 
slap in the face to the aliens. It doesn't, you know, it won't take them out, but it'll just like maybe discourage them. <laughs> That's very discouraging. That's the best you can hope for. They're like, oh yeah, well you can't, we're going to have the meat go bad. Like <laughs> yeah. you can't eat it anymore. Exactly. But it doesn't have a monster, unlike the Quatermass experiment. So, and that's something, since this is a monster podcast, we should probably talk about, um, very quickly, I can give a plot summary if you like. Yeah. Um, uh, it starts, as do a lot of these in the, you know, it's small, like there's a there's a house, you hear, a, I think a boy and girl are making out, and then suddenly, sh- <laughs> overhead, a rocket crashes into the earth, and blows up a little farmhouse and it's pretty cool looking rocket like classic 50s one Mm -hmm. Uh, this is before of course uh, humans went into space before the soviets put up the the first cosmonauts so it's meant to be a british you know the british planetary (laughs) exploration (laughs) rocket program um and quatermass and uh the authorities rush to the scene and there's they find one astronaut one survivor and then two empty spacesuits, which so you have a mystery. All of these are about Quatermass solving a mystery. Mm-hmm. In this yeah. case, it's like what the hell happened in outer space. So uh, they take the astronaut back, and um, he's acting a bit peculiar. <laughs> he's not quite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the film, he's played really well by uh, Richard Wordsworth, who uh, was a Shakespearean actor. And um, and so he, he really effectively conveys this notion of somebody who's being possessed by something, possessed by a force, and he really wants to kill people, <laughs> absorb them, essentially. Mm-hmm. But he's fighting Not just people, it. whatever. Right? Yeah, well, Animals. exactly. Yeah. Cactus. cactus. He hits a cactus. Yeah, whatever it looks good. part of him. Yeah. Which is a lot of things. He doesn't. He doesn't kill little Jane Asher, which is good. So she could go on to date Paul McCartney a decade later. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Paul's had a. I mean, first he died, and then he was like, exactly. you know, replaced. He's, He's had, had a hard a, enough time. Um, so the uh, the astronaut is. Uh, his wife hates Quatermass, as do many people, but his wife hates Quatermass and wants to get her husband away from him. So she arranges for her husband to be uh, snuck out of the hospital. And um, this is a bad move <laughs> so, because his hand has already grown into sort of a bulbous cactusy monstrosity. And then he starts going around the, the British countryside and eventually in a really interesting sequence he gets to a zoo and it's shot sort of like um the cat people like val luton's the cat people yeah um Mm -hmm. and it's very expressionistic and we see that he's turned into something that still has eyes but it leaves a slimy trail (laughs) it has a little fin coming out of the back and it eats all the animals in the zoo and eventually Mm -hmm. in the big finish he turns into a straight-up Lovecraftian, bulbous-headed, tentacle, shapeless monster that's hiding out in the rafters of Westminster Abbey. Yeah, camera. and they say that's like, it's 20 feet long. And it, it's, uh, I found like a funny uh, piece of trivia. Oh, yeah. So among the materials used by uh, Les Bowie to embellish the monster and its monster's attributes, they actually incorporated bovine entrails and tripe into the costume. Yeah, that was spelled great too that must have been a fun oh i bet we have one take guys and then this is going in the freezer that's very um you know ahead of its time actually so because i think greg nicotero was telling me a story about when they were shooting some of the early zombie movies and they'd use uh, actual cow intestines and that sort of thing and then one day the freezer broke uh-oh. And he had to go down and get all the <laughs> rotting cows oh, oh. yeah. them on stage. So you work with what you have. And it should be stated, like, the BBC sh- series were done for a dime, like most BBC things still are to this day. But it was they were really cheap. But it kind of worked because it's black and white. It's fuzzy. It's television. Mm-hmm. The Hammer films were done also not on big budgets whatsoever, but they do a lot with what they have, I think. A lot of that comes down to the director, who's Val Guest, who's 
who's really good, who directed the first two films, mm-hmm. The Experiment and um, Quatermass 2, and um, would later go on to direct The Day the Earth Caught Fire, which is a cool mm-hmm. one to track down. Oh, I, I will check that out. Uh, yeah, because I feel like the the direction was very talented. I love in the, in, in the second one, I love the look of those giant, like, amalgamated alien things. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's breaking out of the domes. Like you can tell that they stretched their budget to incorporate them, but it really had that kind of Japanese kaiju feel in terms of like how it was made. Yeah. Oh sure, especially those little the miniature of the facility. You can totally tell that they shot the actual miniature of the facility that they showed in the beginning of the film to serve as the exterior <laughs> of the actual facility that was there. <laughs> yes, in Wellington Flats. Yes, put your props to use. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and one thing I, I do want to share with the listeners at home real quick uh, is the, so all these films were retitled for U.S. purposes because, uh, as you mentioned, Kurt, the, the, the name Cornemus doesn't have that same, like, household notoriety in the States. So the Cornemus experiment was called The Creeping Unknown in the States. Coinmas 2 was called Enemy from Space. It's true. That's it was an enemy. That's the game from space. And then Coinmas in the Pit was retitled Five Million Miles to Earth, as you mentioned. Oh, it's years to Earth. Was it years? Weirdly enough. Yeah, five million years. Oh, yeah. To I'm, Earth. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing I'd say about that first film, about experiment, is my favorite scene, which is still creepy. And it's creepy in the way like the, um, the old Outer Limits series was creepy. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is when Quatermass, they managed to get a roll of film that uh, that films what happens in the interior of the space capsule. Oh, yeah. And so it's a fixed point of view. It's basically a found footage, mm-hmm. you know. So one camera and you see the astronauts going about their business and they even do some like good fake to zero gravity stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then... There's this, just this blinding flash that's coming sort of from the direction of the camera, like a wave. And then you see the astronauts kind of collapse. And then the one, uh, or the surviving astronaut is kind of forced to turn and drag toward the camera, holding his arm in this really weird position. And it's so creepy. It's like, even to this day. <laughs> yeah, it's really unsettling and well executed. Yeah, because it feels so unnatural. And at the same time, like something you shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. Yeah, it's because that that camera is so unrelenting because it's focused on these astronauts doing their job to show anything like any deviations. It it also cuts back to the meters showing like the oxygen level, pressure level. And it when it cuts back to the meter during the flashes, it shows something is very wrong. But then it switches back to them. And just the way that it's so static, like it's fixed against the, the chassis of the rocket where when the rocket's shaking, they're just like moving in like some unnatural fashion and your mind just fills in the blanks there and makes it probably more terrifying than what uh, Val Guest had intended. Yeah. And I also like love the, um, some of the features of the the creature and the, the threat that they posit that it, it, it presents because, okay, so it's, it's interesting because when they, they, they describe it, it's a being that has been absorbing whatever it finds to build its mass over time. And so it has, organically, it has spores, right? So that's a fungal sort of feature. But then it also has traits associated with plant life, traits associated with animal life. It's this weird hybrid amalgamation of a thing because of what it's been absorbing. And then the big apocalyptic level threat that they're trying to prevent is they hypothesize that it's building mass until it can release its spores which would be nigh apocalyptic. And so it's this weird unclassifiable entity that all of these entities and all these films could end all life on earth or at least all human life on earth. Yep. Indeed. And, and again, uh, all these films are Lovecraftian as you mentioned. So, because in this case it's, you know, we go into space and what happens when you go into space? Well, you're going to run into something out there that wants to kill you. And even if it's not, consciously trying to kill you that's just what it does because we don't understand it right yeah exactly like we can't even comprehend its motives per se like we can guess but it's 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 like trying to understand the motives of something that's vast beyond our experience i wanted to kind of take a moment and and ask you and and also you andre Mm -hmm. of of these films which is your favorite uh maybe maybe you first kurt 
Yeah. Um, Quatermass 2 is my favorite, I have decided. It used to be Quatermass in the pit, and uh, on reflection this week, watching everything again, I just thought, you know, no, Quatermass 2 is actually has pulled the head now because okay. it's it just keeps... It's just relentless and dark as all hell <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and kind of fun. I love it too. We, we could talk about it in a second because um, that also ends with awesome monster shots. It's so influential. Andre, what, what's your personal favorite? Okay, so my overall favorite is Experiment because it's just so bare bones and all you see is just the hand at a, at that certain point and then the, the titular creeping terror through the zoo and then culminating in the finale at what Westminster Abbey but um right now Quatermass in the pit is really growing on me because it it's so much more bleak and uh it has this much more fascinating act of like unraveling the mystery of what's underneath the mm-hmm. tube station so as of right now, I would have to say Quatermass Experiment just because of its just the setup being very similar to a lot of what other uh, 50s science fiction had already set up, but then morphing into something completely different and just really roping you into this this terrifying, pessimistic look at life that exists outside of us and just Mm -hmm. instinctively not purposefully but just instinctively trying to defend itself trying to exert some level of control over what they think is the enemy or absorb yeah for me like uh, that's true no i i love i love the first one um a lot it it was weird too because i i I watched all of them in in sequence Mm -hmm. and i thought okay every single time i thought i really really love this one i watched the next one like oh I like this one even more. Yeah. So I actually would say that my order is like Pit and then to uh, the original because I, I I think I like Pit the most just because of it's 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 yeah yet another one that's existentially bleak at a cosmic level. Yeah. But even not just like bleakness in the sense that we are small in the face of these cosmic terrors, but bleak in the sense that they also kind of made us. And they're already in us and we can't do anything really about it other than like win the day, Mm -hmm. which is like the essence of cosmic horror. Yeah. We just get to continue existing for a little bit longer. It's so fascinating. And now that I've seen it, I see it in, in a lot of things. Quartemess is investigating this report of tons and tons and tons of meteorites landing. And it's one particular area of the UK, uh, uh, Winterton flats. And he visits there to investigate and he finds this huge industrial complex, which is kind of similar to he had plans for a moon colony. And it seems like it's actually similar in, in construction and it's top secret. He can't, he, he has a hard time investigating, getting more deeper insight into it. But what he finds out is that there's been this extraterrestrial infiltration that even like has infected the British government and he and his allies have to stop uh, what they're doing, figure out what's going on in that strange industrial facility before, you know, before it's too late. And it culminates a really, really cool monster. But um, I don't know. Do, do any of you have, have any particular thoughts on that? A lot of it is about just the a critis- a critique of British society and the kind of unquestioning following of rules and orders. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a hangover from the uh, war years. And the line that keeps coming up and it's used to great satiric effect is uh, it's part of the process. <laughs> Um, whatever whatever somebody says what the hell is going on here why are we going into this room and whatever it's part of the process (laughs) not Um, assuaging at all and yeah and uh and everyone's sworn to secrecy and so it's like you know if you ask questions you'll lose your job Mm -hmm. you know you have to accept everything the government tells you must be believed all orders must be followed there are the authorities and then of course it turns out that the authorities have been completely corrupted and Mm -hmm. the the police are corrupted you know there's like a couple of heroes within the ranks but uh but the senior senior management is gone (laughs) so Mm -hmm. they they have been absorbed um possessed so it becomes you know this kind of you know for for britain in particular at the period very subversive kind of narrative about um just the uh 
recognizing the evil of first of all just accepting things at face value and bureaucracy mm -hmm. because even the bureaucrats who aren't taken over are still obstructive right <laughs> everybody right it's definitely path. a consistent theme for the entire series if there's a government figure yeah. oh yeah you know 99 times out of 100 they're at best inept and in the way because of ineptitude at worst they're you know victims of extraterrestrial mind control exactly and it, and it, it definitely gets even worse in Quatermass in the pit um and i think Quatermass 2 also has a better ending than the serial um mm. it's i think the first two movies i haven't seen the first serial because it barely exists yeah. i guess they lost like most of them uh the second serial i think Quatermass 2 is superior to that and i actually think Quatermass in the pit the extended serial has a better equator mass in it. And so I sort of, that's actually one of the things that made me slightly downgrade the the pit because I don't think Udo Kier is as good as the equator um, mass who is in uh, in the serial. But, Fair. Um, and it, it plays out over longer. You get more characterization and detail, but it's still a great film, as I say, all three of these. But the two is cool just, I think because you have um you have some really neat shots in it too as well like Quatermass's base with the rocket standing there mm -hmm. just really always always gets me and um oh and you also have I think a, a good look at labor management relations Quatermass <laughs> too in that it ends with the workers storming yeah. the base mm -hmm. with pitchforks yeah with, with yeah they give it the uh the Frankenstein's castle uh, treatment yes yeah the whole the whole deal and it's it it has a legitimate um, mood of dread i think um and of course what probably the most famous scene is when uh one the one sympathetic uh, politician who clearly is a labor minister uh climbs up to the top uh, to sample the food because the whole thing is the base is supposed to be refining food mm -hmm. Which is which is why apparently needs armed guards everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but, and uh, he samples a little of the food and comes down and he's covered with this burning black tar. Kind mm -hmm. of it says like the food it burns. So but that's a favorite line. And my mother, <laughs> my other favorite line is when the uh, equator mess and his guys are uh, holed up. They're kind of trying to defend themselves against the evil aliens, and um, the aliens. <laughs> block the they're trying to feed air because air is bad for them mm -hmm. so the aliens are blocking it that pipe has been blocked with human pulp yeah 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 <laughs> i do love that I, line i really just kind of wanted to see how they were doing that it's like were they just literally stuffing like the tit, the, the zombies <laughs> in the pipe yeah. or were they like just like chopping off their arms and throwing it in there like how are they doing this <laughs> I think they're stuffing the three guys who went to surrender to the to try to negotiate. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they're, they promised that like if you just surrender, lay down your arms, we'll let you go home. Everything will be okay. And then that's probably what happened to them. Yeah, what happened to them? Yeah, and it's another another anti. You know, don't don't negotiate with Nazis or totalitarian entities from outer space. Never, you can't trust them. Yeah, that's a good um, that's a good lesson. Well, and so what's what's really interesting to me about this film is that okay, so for for the listeners at home, the the people that are under extraterrestrial mind control are trying to they're they're being controlled to try and make an increasingly habitable environment for this extraterrestrial takeover. And when they're under mind control, they mostly, other than things like killing people and stuff, stuffing them in tubes, uh, they otherwise mostly act like us, except for their unyielding obedience to common cause. And they sport this V-shaped uh, mark, uh, typically like often on their face or wherever, um, that shows that they are the infected. And it's so eerie to me because... This this is clearly, I mean, the, the, it's it's a movie that feels exactly like uh, body snatchers without being body snatchers. Yeah, uh, yeah, there are clear clear similarities, even though they were. Um, I think when you look at the timing of the release and the scripts and all of that, they basically couldn't have been influenced each other. Right. Know? Yet obviously, hmm. so so what was going on in the mid fifties that might have caused everyone to be so incredibly paranoid? Well, let's see. <laughs> We have uh, we have uh, obviously the the Cold War is raging. Uh, the 
in the U.S., certainly there's a great deal of paranoia specifically about scientists selling nuclear secrets because the scientists who are supposed to be the heroes during the war suddenly became objects of concern and that, you know, maybe they were actually smuggling secrets to the Soviet Union, which actually some of them were because many people coming out of the Depression era were, were communists because that was a, a legitimate economic solution that various you know people were in favor of. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I think people... We didn't have quite the awareness of what was going on inside Stalin's Russia and, you know, the food genocides and everything else. So, but um, there is certainly that fear uh, is behind that. I mean, body snatchers can be read both ways. You can read it both as like fear of like becoming like a part of the the state, you know, the Soviet state, where you're, you know, everything is top-down rule and you're, you know, mm-hmm. allegedly, you know, you're part of a commune, but, you know, everybody still has to follow one line. Or it could be, you know, the other way around. So seeing it as like a comment on um, conformity and buying into, you know, regardless, it's, it's different kinds of totalitarianism and right-wing or left-wing. And Quaker mm-hmm. Mass is a little more subtle i think about that um and it seems to be much more about i think um what are you how much are you willing to give up in terms of personal freedom and thinking for yourself in order to uh, you know maintain your identity in other words so will you lose your identity in the course of trying to defend yourself and defend your you know freedoms such as they are so absolutely i also think it's interesting because uh one of the reasons why i think this fits for a uh, in addition to just you know having extraterrestrial mind takeover it does something kind of unique that that's not really common in these alien horror films the conclusion for the listeners at home is this is after they they unsuccessfully try and feed them poison the habitat with for the extraterrestrials with oxygen that doesn't work because it's plugged with human pulp (laughs) such a good sentence um you know that realizing that causes one of the workers to to fire at one of the domes that's been feeding and housing these extraterrestrial life forms and they explode and basically spew forth these giant amalgamated collective entities that's like what like three massive piles of extraterrestrial bodies it's such a trippy image and they kind of lumber towards the camera but then ultimately long story short uh can't survive in our atmosphere which was why the industrial operation was producing something to make life more habitable uh, I just love that image and the, the sort of like amalgamated kaiju-ness mm-hmm. of their, their final form. Yeah, how big they get. And yeah, there are two reveals of the monsters. And the first is when Quatermass is um, disguised as one of the drones. And he looks through this kind of porthole into mm-hmm. what's inside one of the domes. And then you see this gelatinous oozing thing that's clearly alive and clearly sinister. Mm-hmm. And he's just stunned by it he's just in shock and and which also sort of gives a lie to a lot of criticisms of don levy's acting i think he's much as much more of a range in the second movie and he kind of responds yeah. more emotionally to a lot of these things so. but um mm-hmm. yeah so you've got the the hideous thing whatever it is and then when it comes out yeah then it's like a full-on you know building size monster <laughs> so coming at you I just love the concept of them being able to function as one unit, which makes sense because they've been hive minding all of these independent humans, but it's such a, a, a sort of shocking conceptual creature to me. Yeah. That it's like, there's apparently it's like little, these little slimy things. So then they can all pile together and then form one big gestalt organism. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Um, Again, very love craftian as well and that just like there's an element of like what in god's name is, is this thing how does it work what is it doing here so, it's just like just and, what yeah that's like and questions you will never have answered which is another great thing about the series is it doesn't answer every single question by any means it's more like here's a problem but we don't know where it came from and we never will and we don't know if it's right. ending <laughs> it just maybe yeah, yeah exactly like every single one ends with, well, I uh, I hope this is the end of it. This this series also argues that you can 
not answer these questions and also get this message across or terrify your audience and like argue that if you do answer all of these questions, then you're going to ruin the mystery. You're going to ruin the mystique. And above all, you're going to ruin the horror of the whole story. Exactly. I've, I've had this discussion with a lot of the people I've interviewed for this series, actually, just about um, this demand for backstory <laughs> that just yeah. winds up killing everything, you know? So <laughs> at a certain point, you, you don't want to know. You don't need to yeah. know. You don't really want what you're asking for. I understand why you're asking for it, but trust me, you don't really want that. Right. Like, no, because I, I do appreciate that all of these films, at least the first three, um, and, and, and the series they're associated with, they give you just enough information to know, uh, to feel like you know something about the menacing nature of the, the alien threat. Like, just enough, mm-hmm. not too much. And even still... A lot of it is conjecture. You just, the only thing you know is that it is threatening. I'd say that my my personal favorite, uh, Quaid Mass in the Pit, is conceptually so cool. Okay, so the storyline, um, which is pretty, even even though it's effectively like a decade later, uh, it's it's pretty consistent with the, the, the series. Yeah, it's the same. So basically, um, they discover in, um, well, first they discover this strange humanoid skull in this underground like this london underground extension site and as that it triggers a dig and as they continue to dig they find more humanoid skeletons more skulls and then this this well and say uncover it jet black um object that they surmise eventually is of extraterrestrial origin so they're they're digging and investigating and eventually uh, get a window into it and find that it's um, this ancient Martian spacecraft and the Martians are these locust massive well, somewhat massive locust looking entities but they're connected mythologically we find out but both to the origins of humanity because this is, is five years. Uh, five million years this is five million years ago. Yeah. And so there are hominids way before there should be that are the result of these entities. And they've been there a very long time. So they surmise that these Martians were doing sort of early experiments that eventually produced modern humanity. And they posit a lot of connections between these Martians and what we think of as the devil. Yes. And under their influence, there's increasing insanity, increasing maliciousness, and and even like murderous behavior among psychically murderous behavior. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they start giving like psionic abilities over time under their in the totality of their influence as it increases. It's just everything goes nuts, and then towards the end, there's you know, city destruction and this massive projection of there's a bunch of smoke and it effectively looks like a massive projection of the traditional look of Satan, but it's these entities. And so it kind of, to me implies both that they, well, it states they created us and then heavily implies that they're the origins of our belief in the devil. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is one of the things I loved when I saw this as a kid, because it was just like, it seemed like the most sacrilegious thing I'd ever seen on television. It's just like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, I love it. It's not a movie you could, you would expect to come out of America for certain, certainly around that period. Although, although again, the original series, when you look at that, I mean, that's England in 1958, just Mm -hmm. hardly like a party's a place at that point. Although when (laughs) film is made, it's 1967 and England is a party. (laughs) It's like this swinging sixties. And suddenly this is a bright, colorful hammer film. Uh Uh-huh. Barbara Shelley is in this as uh, as as the rare strong female character, which mm-hmm. you usually don't see at least in the movies. They are actually far more in the series, but mm-hmm. but um, 
she's really good. Although it's interesting too, in that she's like probably the most likable character in the film next to James Donald, who plays Roni, who's a guy who is uh, an evolved human in that he is immune to the Martian influence, but most people succumb to it, including Barbara Shelley's character, who by the end is basically in full carry mode mm-hmm. and uh, is like psychically assaulting them and trying to stop James Donald's character from uh, stopping Satan by grounding him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just so interesting, too, because uh, the fact that this is the the first that's in color, the visuals are a lot brighter and they're physically friendlier, but it's one of the bleakest of of the films, (laughs) plot-wise. It's basically, oh, yeah, we were basically um, nothing more than an alien experiment to use for their ends. That is the origin of what we are. To try to perpetuate themselves, and that was kind of the crux of it, is they... uh pretty much surmised that Mars was dying. And so the aliens were looking for a way to survive and they couldn't turn our planet into their planet, but they still wanted to live on. So they figured, well, we can live on in a way by essentially terraforming the animals that live on Earth, Mm -hmm. turning them into Martian descendants. And the Martians, as it turns out, are once again, it's another totalitarian, you know, hive mind situation. Mm -hmm. And that once everyone starts awake they uh, then start hunting and they go on this hunt to exterminate anybody who's different. And so that's where all the murdering comes from is that they're all going around in a gang and attacking people, you know, who, uh, who don't have the Martian influence. Right, right, right. Cause, yeah. cause it, it implies that the, the Martians left to their own devices were, were had this like perpetual genocidal tendency. <laughs> Exactly. And it and it also calls back essentially it's saying the Martians were didn't were just inspire Satan. They were also uh insect Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we are the the experimental product of insect Nazis, and there's some of that heritage like inherent in what we are. Mm-hmm. Including Quatermass, which is one of the things is Quatermass, his dickish tendencies throughout the series are sort of explained by, you know, yes, he is also, you know, has the Martian influence in mm-hmm. him. Perhaps not as much as, you know, the odious Colonel Breen who gets his face melted off. <laughs> so, Deservedly so. But, uh, <laughs> but he's still, uh, you know, he's still got it in him. Yeah, I, I love the, the the bleakness. I love that. It's like, oh, yeah. So basically, like, Satan's an alien, and we're all Satan's kids, and that's who created us. It's the most sacri- sacrilegious and, and bleak plot. Really, and and that's and that's reinforced by the ending to this, which is different than the ending. The serial actually ended uh, more with a you know kind of um, call to arms speech okay. from Quatermass, you know, going on television okay. saying, you know, yeah, you know, it's in us, but we can we have to fight it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas the film gives you like it it's an ending that would make sense if this had been made in the early 70s which is to say it's just like one long shot of Quatermass and Barbara Shelley just as everything's burning around them and they're both kind of exhausted and in shock and then the credits roll over Mm -hmm. that yeah I love that end credit sequence they're just like collecting themselves and just just trying to figure out what they're gonna do next well, I mean, they had to, like, stab the devil, like, as it was, like, achieving territorial dominance. Like, it's tiring. Yeah. I really like what um, Quatermass in the Pit does with um, the ghost story aspect as well. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that happens early on. It's like, if there's these these stories about things that happen in these uh, apartment buildings in Hobbs End, and they go into one of those buildings with a police officer and he remembers being there when he was a kid but like we don't get a lot of that other than what we see on the walls but he freaks out and he freak he he melts down literally he starts sweating profusely and then yeah finally runs out and he's like a guy who doesn't look like he'd be scared of anything so no definitely not yeah like all he needs to to see are the scratch marks on the wall and then describing the sounds that he heard. And it's like, that goes directly back to uh, the, the old M.R. James stories. And it, it really pulls from how folklore can shape something that was completely different in its origin, like the aliens that are informing this image of the devil. And then like the human mind fills in all of the other imaginary gaps. So it's kind of like a way that we are coming up with our own lore 
for right. something yep. completely different that happened. It's how, how we try to interpret events that are too big for our, our beyond our understanding, exactly. So we come up with stories, which is, you know, of course, what humans are wired to do. You know, we can, you can give yeah. us a few facts and we'll come up with the story because that's what our brains want to do. But the stories we come up with uh, don't, as a, you know, at least in this case, have nothing to do with what's actually going on. Right. And you can totally see the uh, the influence in, uh, I mean, especially John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which he wrote originally as Martin Quatimus, because it does have that like, oh, so our belief in Satan is scientific. It's this massive, powerful force. It's powerful, but physical. And it's the source of all these myths and legends. And it's something that's sort of a scientific thing, but with all these vast effects that are beyond us. And you can never truly, really defeat it. Now, monster wise, I actually, I was talking to Joe Dante a little about this film and, um, and Joe suggested, and I actually am thinking about, it, I kind of had to agree that the, um, that the insect monsters in the cereal were actually like a little more frightening, like a little more like creepier than the ones in um, Quatermass in the Pit, which, and part of it's, I think, because the ones in the pit have the horns and maybe it's just because it's color and the resolution is better as it just looks like a little more like a prop whereas in the um, the serial I think they were a little creepier and certainly the um, the little sequence the weakest part of the Quatermass in the pit uh, I think is the um, when they scan uh, Barbara Shelley's mind and get mm-hmm. images of the Martian purge and that actually looked better on television in a rare case of something looking better on television from the 50s than a, a movie in the 1960s Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. That one scene was, first of all, kind of confusingly mm-hmm. done in overlaid images. And then, I don't know, it, it was a little bit hard to buy. Yeah. But I like the idea of it. Yeah, the idea is great. The little, you know, the herd. But instead, you get like a bunch of sort of stop motion bugs, <laughs> bug statues. And they're, yeah, they're, they kind of look a little like yeah. grasshoppers yeah. in the way that they were. Yeah. They aren't really killing each other. They're just sort just of... Hanging out. <laughs> One of the things I always like to, to do is, is towards the end of an episode, kind of... Uh, just devote a little time to talking about the the meanings that we get out of these you know works and and creatures and creations and like uh if there's any particular themes or meanings and we've talked about this a little bit a lot of different things but were the, were there any other in in any of these films in the series as a whole sort of you know meanings themes that that stood out to to either of you <laughs> let's see that uh nigel neal grew increasingly more depressed <laughs> he seemed to be giving up hope in humanity uh certainly by quatermass four he's like completely written off humans um mm-hmm. and you just sort of see that advancing which is kind of sad um although you know Mm-hmm. Who's, to, who's to say he doesn't have a point? Um, I don't know if there's a different theme because at its core, it seems to be just again these notions of you know don't always don't blindly trust authority. You know there are people mm-hmm. in charge who are trying to make a difference, but they're up against like a, just a deeply entrenched bureaucracy of fools <laughs> and incompetence. Mm-hmm. That um, science will not solve all your problems, but it's better than nothing. Yes, <laughs> it, it's just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what <laughs> yeah. sticks. No, because you, you could definitely tell by the the nature of the threat that the pessimism is increasing. Because the first yeah. one, it's a good, fairly standard invasion, and the second one, it's you know they're achieving totalitarian control over our minds like we're servants perpetual you know servitude and without there's just like perfect obedience and then the third one the great historical evil that our our sort of culture is religiously built around fearing is the thing that created us and it's in everyone to which we are subject if if they really got down to the influence increasing and then and the fourth were meat yeah, with fourth word meet, and also it's worth noting that in the fourth one, civilization is collapsing too, like worldwide, mm-hmm. and so London is basically clearly a projection of where Nigel Neal thought it's it's sort of you know clockwork orangey, except with new wave you know not not new wave a uh, new age hippies kind of roaming the land, and they're all virulently anti science, like completely anti science, and they destroy like mm-hmm. the radio telescope that's you know that they're hoping to use to. Contact the aliens with and 
um, and 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 the Earth is essentially barely saved by a bunch of old people, literally old people, because they're the ones who are <laughs> immune to the signal from space. So that's where Nigel right. Neal was at. Is like these damn kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> Get off my British exactly. lawn. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's one thing that I was thinking about is like just trying to pin down at what point over just the first three films of the Quatermass series, where do they stop at the pessimistic science fiction uh, portrayals and when do they morph into true abject horror? My initial thought would be pinning it down at Quatermass in the Pit because it has such... Uh, large immediate implications because of like the the takeover of first London but their ultimate goal is like the entire world because you know to to make sure Mm -hmm. that earth dies or you know dies for the humans but flourishes for the locust demon aliens that also like in a sense implies that because they generated us and that design is in our nature to some degree and capable of being activated like in a way they've already won it's just not done yet yeah it's it's like a delayed release of colonization almost yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly instead of um it, the second one was about possession the first and the second one are really about possession and the and the third is about uh we've already been colonized and and, and we can't escape it because it's it's bred into us so that's yeah that's pretty a horrifying notion for sure i i think as far as horror like looking at them as horror films, I think uh, Quatermass Experiment is probably the closest to a straight up horror film. The second one is a little more about mm. tension and like not being quite sure what's in there, even though it has it. The second one has a sense of dread that runs through the entire picture. That's really good and tense. But uh but the first is more of a straight up monster movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it definitely has like a strong creature that has the implications of expanding itself on a much you know, like worldwide scale that can violate like form and function in certain visible ways. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's very Orwellian too, like uh, Quatermass 2, the, the whole paranoid aspect of you don't really know if who you're talking to is going to turn you in or if they're on your side or if they're pretending to be on your side. Mm-hmm. It's very, very paranoid in that way. And in fact, Nigel Neal was famous for adapting 1984 for British television which I think Peter Cushing played Winston Smith in. Oh, so. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, so I'm so glad that you um, picked these films because it was fun to actually get to explore them and watch the, um, I watched them in chronological order. So I did get to see the increasing, uh, I guess all of them are apocalyptic threats, but the increasing paranoia and pessimism advance in each one. Yes. <laughs> Any more things that uh, thematically you that you cut onto on uh, Andre? Um, I guess I don't know how much we really talked about um, Quatermass Experiment uh, and its basic just influences on body horror in general because that definitely has some seedlings there. Yeah, definitely. And also when you consider that that film was you know years before the Blob as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I think this is really one of the first absorbent Blob creatures that you see in the films. Yeah, absolutely, and it definitely has and it evokes that especially before it becomes the sort of tentacled monstrosity it has that almost like the thing-esque feel of having attributes of different things on the same composite body because it's it's changing and morphing as it goes and it's that's not very common in creature design it's a little more common now but it's still not common yeah especially not in the 50s right well you could also argue you know if one wanted to that quatermass himself at least in the first film is uh kind of the soulless emotionless monster <laughs> yes <laughs> it's kind of charging through everything and does not give a damn about anybody's feelings certainly yeah. so that's just very incidental oh, yeah. um it's all about the mission yeah especially right right when he gets to the rocket site like his first thing is like tell all the firefighters to just turn their hoses on and then it's like i don't care just keep them going i'm, I'm gonna let this guy out but we need to just keep the hoses on him as he comes out of his out of the spaceship and that was um his very first screen appearance with four to six fire hoses trained on him as he's <laughs> entering the frame and i thought that was just like not the best way to be christened into film yeah. history but <laughs> certainly a, a more memorable one That's for sure true. and um, of course, at the end of the film, too, you know, after seeing you know the crew of the spaceship has been either, you know, um, melted into nothingness or turned into, uh, I guess they were melted, mm-hmm. turned into goo, actually. 
and uh and then his main astronaut has become this you know shapeless absorbent monster that had to be elect burned to death he then stomps out of westminster happy <laughs> and they ask what yeah. are you gonna do now like build another rocket i just got an idea <laughs> i love that it ends on that and also how uh, Quatermass 2 also ends with him just storming off. He he's, he's consistent at that, at least. And that's one thing that I love about Don Levy's performance is like, he can just do that. And um, you're fine with it. Oh, you totally believe it. Yeah. And I, I love, uh, I just love that every single one of them just ends with like, well, um, hopefully nothing else happens. <laughs> well, I'm going home. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm tired. We're done. <laughs> And like uh, one thing I had found out while watching at least the first two was that apparently Brian Donlevy really, really liked to drink very heavily on set. And like Val Guest didn't catch on to it until most of the way through shooting Quatermass 2. And <laughs> he was hiding it by like pouring some brandy in his coffee cup and saying that he's just going to go get some more coffee, going to get some more coffee. If you watch Quatermass 2 and just watch the way that Brian Donlevy delivers that word coffee, you know what he's talking about. <laughs> and like, I, I just wonder how, like, if if Guest got like pissed off at him at some point, or if he was just like tone it down a little bit. Yeah, from what I've heard and read, actually, that a lot of that um, that rumor, which is doubtless based in truth, because would hardly be having having shot with British crews. I have to tell you, you know, you hit lunch, it's the pub. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so, so it's hardly unusual, you know. But right. uh, so, um, but I think because um, Nigel Neal hated him so much uh he was uh, the the big spreader of that like oh he was always drunk blah 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 whereas okay. i don't think guest actually had a problem with him if if he was drinking he seemed to be able to handle it pretty well so okay at least, yeah. <laughs> that's what matters you, you know what's interesting is what i always wonder is why it's hammer in the 60s now so it's 1967 so why weren't peter why wasn't peter cushing Quatermass and uh, yes, Christopher yes. Lee play Ronnie. That would have fit. Uh, yeah, I, I think they they had considered that, but for some reason it just didn't work out. It might have been a scheduling thing. I think. I mean, that that would have been really nice to see, though. That would have been that would have been good because Peter Cushing has particularly as um, his Doctor Frankenstein always yeah. had that element of uh, unstoppable. <laughs> drive mm-hmm. that would have fit well yeah i mean like i like the performance I, I, but but i am a big fan of cushing's and i would have loved to have seen his take on the character yeah it's weird though because a character actor like cushing like when you look at him like he screams like something like Quatermass or Doctor Who or Doctor Frankenstein, which he did play. And something yeah. else that I found interesting was um, while they were shooting Quatermass two, Hammer was also at a certain point shooting uh, their first Frankenstein picture, which was the same point of time where a scientist was playing in the trustworthy role of saving humanity, and opposite that in Frankenstein, a scientist is being portrayed as an evil entity or uh, like an anti-hero entity mm-hmm. that is. Not necessarily destroying humanity, but is ultimately at odds. Is violating the rules of nature. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. He's definitely he's definitely more of Doctor Mengele than he is, uh, you know, Doctor Schweitzer. Yeah, definitely like mm-hmm. a villainous character for sure. Yeah. Well, I've, and I have a personal theory about a lot of this actually, because um, I'm actually doing a Mad Scientist episode uh, for season three. So awesome. I've been thinking about this a lot and um, I'm just wondering also if some of the portrayals particularly of medical doctors or experimenters wasn't also inspired by um, what was coming the information coming out about the Nazi experiments like the experiments of the Auschwitz and all of that so mm. where they're drowning people to figure out uh, you know dousing them in cold water to see like how long does it take a human to die you know? <laughs> yeah sort of. yeah yeah I wouldn't be surprised honestly because it did take a while for like a lot of the real horrors to come out well i i do think that's um i mean we're not going to get bleaker than that so uh i i want to thank you so much for your time in this episode and for for choosing these excellent films what i always ask guests uh at the end of an episode to tell the listeners at home what what they have going on would you like to share what you have going on next What I have going on next. Um, I am uh, starting next week about to start writing and we start editing um, the first of six episodes for Eli Roth's History of Horror Season 3, which starts um, in October 2021 on um, AMC. 
and um, and I've also been interviewing people for the last few weeks, which has been very interesting to do during the uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, it's all working out. We've got a lot of good people, and uh, so yeah, awesome. I'm very busy. I I don't working. doubt that. Yeah, I'm, thank you so much for being on the show. I I really really look forward to it. Yes. Oh, thanks. Yes, me yeah, too. Thank you so much for having me here. You know, uh, I rarely get a chance to talk to Quatermass, too, even with my guests. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like some, some know it, others do not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, was, I was pumped when you mentioned it. I'm like, okay, we're, that's, we're doing that. Yeah. And especially in that the Monsters episode in season two, like you just get like a little glimpse of like Quatermass experiment, but then like you don't talk mm-hmm. about it. And I'm like, oh, can we go back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that's only there because I, ins- you know, insisted on. <laughs> I, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it's interesting for me too because like every every other episode I have to stop and take a step back and and say like okay well for this purposes of this show this is what i consider a monster to be and some of these like extraterrestrial species and stuff may not be classified by some folks as monsters obviously in the first one yes but for me i i think all three of the first films at least have what I would consider to be monsters if you really dig into them. So I, I love, I love that suggestion. Yeah. And they're, and they're monsters that aren't necessarily corporeal. So that's right. like harder to, uh, yeah. it makes it a trick to dramatize it. Yes. But I think these films find a way to do it very effectively. Absolutely. But yeah. Th- thank you here. I'm gonna, um, uh, and just Andre, what do you have going on? <laughs> I, i'm just here just talking writing i mean I, I don't really have plugs i mean other than this show yeah exactly other than that you are uh pivotal on this show well mm-hmm. wait uh, at that i'll i'll say that wraps the episode yeah this is great long live quater mass once more i'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening from the dawn of record human civilization we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous they've inhabited our dreams and nightmares they've been our protectors and our villains They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization. The need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 